Good morning, church family. It's good to see all of you guys. Um, Happy Labor Day weekend. Where this week we're taking a, a week off of our journey through the Gospel of Luke, and then actually it's going to be a little longer than a week. We're going to take uh, the month of September, uh, the next few weeks, to talk. Uh, it, we're going to go through a sermon series talking about the values that really shape our church. Um, and so that begins next week. Uh, Pastor Lawson and I uh, and the elders have been uh, talking about this for a little while. And so we're excited to, to walk through this series together that'll begin next week. So, but this week we're gonna be uh, in uh, the, the book of Second Peter. So you can follow along with me if you want, uh, as we just read from chapter one. Well, something that Amy and I weren't prepared for when we began to raise tiny humans was the destructive power of toddlers. I had forgotten this story until we were uh, eating dinner this week and Amy shared it with our kids. Um, But our our two boys who are now uh, 16 and 14, when they were about two and six months, uh, they, uh, Amy had gone over with the boys over to her parents' house to wash a load of laundry because our, our washing machine had broken. And so she entered their house and at that house, you kind of entered through, uh, through the garage and in through the door. And so with a baby carrier in one arm and, and a, lo- a laundry basket in the other, she kind of pushed the door open. And, and of course, like any two-year-old, uh, the, the two-year-old Judah, just bolts on through the door, right? He just heads on in. And what does he see when he comes into the room? He sees his grandmother's Bible open uh, on the ottoman with her Bible study papers all spread out. And he just says, that looks fun. And he takes them and shoves them all into the floor. And then he moves on to a bin of blocks that were on the floor that, that she had probably had out there for him to play with when he came over. And he picked it up and he dumped it on the floor and sent blocks everywhere. And the grand finale was he ran straight from there into the kitchen, picked up a glass dog water bowl, lifted it up, dropped it onto the kitchen floor, shattered everywhere, glass and water everywhere, and Amy's still standing there with laundry in one hand and a baby carrier in the other going, what whirlwind just happened? Um, if, if you have young boys, maybe you've, maybe you've experienced such a thing. Uh, I am so thankful, though, that as Judah has grown and is now a 16-year-old, he has learned to enter a room in a much more productive way, uh, usually. Uh, (laughs) Praise God for growing up, right? Praise God for maturity. Uh, Today, in in this passage, in Peter's second letter, uh, Peter wants God's people to mature. He wants them to grow up, to press on with Christ. Peter funny enough, is the one who famously has bungled some things, right? But he's writing now as one who's matured himself. Jesus changed him, transformed him. And so from Peter's life, we're seeing fruit, fruit that didn't seem to be there before. But Peter knows that this is not just an experience that he gets to have with Jesus. It's one that everyone who follows Christ may have. And so as we look to today's text, I want us to see four realities of a maturing life with Jesus. We'll see number one, the resource of grace. Number two, the promise of grace. Number three, the effort of grace. And lastly, the reminder of grace. Let me pray for us.
Actually, right, right where you are, would you just take just a minute uh, and pray for your own heart? Pray that you would have a heart that would receive God's word, that you'd have ears that would hear today, uh, that, he, that God would move, remove distractions from you that, so that you might uh, hear his word. And now would you take just a minute and uh, selfishly, I'll just ask that you would just you'd pray for me, uh, that I would get out of the way and that God would speak to us through his word and by his spirit. Uh, so would you pray now for me? Oh Lord, would you help us today? We need your, we need your grace. We need to see Jesus so that we might understand anything that you would have us to hear. So draw us back to him. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. We begin with number one, the resource of grace. So starting here in verse three, uh, Peter is writing and he's, he's, he's greeting them. He's talking about Jesus. <clears throat> and then he says this about Christ. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So Peter's second letter here, he, he's, it's like zero to 60. It's going, he's just diving right in. He doesn't, he's not withholding punches. Maybe it's like part of when you're, you're getting a little older, you're like, hey, I just got to get this out there. Things have to, I got to communicate quickly. And then he just says, you've been given everything you need. You've, you've been given all you require. Jesus Christ, the divine son of God, he did something only the omnipotent God could do for you and for me. That's what Peter's saying. He gave us all that we require for life, all, all that you need to progress in godliness. It, it, this, this whole thing starts with him. He's the only true good and right one. You weren't good on your own. I wasn't good on my own, but, but, but the truly good one, Jesus, he, he was good and he gives you these things. Peter's going, that's, that's who I was. I, I was not impressive. I was a fisherman. That's Peter's life, right? But, but Jesus called him. The divine Lord of the universe used him, gave him everything that he needed, gave him his spirit. And he didn't give him just what he needed to survive. He, gave him, he, gave, he gives us everything that we need for a real life forever with him. All that we need for godliness, meaning that all we need to grow, grow in, in moral excellence, grow in love. How, so how is that possible? Uh, some, some of you are in, in the room I know are, are newer to the faith and you're still just trying to figure out what does it look like for me to walk with Jesus? Others in the room I, I know would say I've followed Jesus for years. I, I've known him and, and, and the longer I follow him, the more I realize that I've still got more maturing to do. But whether you trusted him yesterday or, or 60 years ago, by his grace, he has resourced you with everything you need. 
So, so what does that mean exactly? It, it can't mean that I, I'm a finished product. Of course, we know that's not right. It, much of the passage is about my, us progressing, us growing. But I, I think the question maybe to begin with is this. Is there some other thing that we're waiting for? Is there some other spiritual experience that we feel like we need? Some deeper revelation of, of, from God that then, then will finally be there? Maybe, maybe you're waiting on uh, the perfect church. You're waiting on better sermons. <laughs> you're waiting on a better life group. You just need to find the right accountability because then the, the right devotional rhythm, the rhythm then, you'll, then you'll be able to walk in, in faithfulness and obedience. Maybe you listened to Pastor Barry's great sermon last week and you're going, man, if I could just successfully implement those practices, I'll, I'll be on my way. I'll be on my way to godliness. Friends, if, if you've trusted Jesus, here's, here's what you need to know. You are a child of the Father. You're his. He called you. And, and that, that's enough. There isn't phase two. Like we're not waiting for phase two in this life. No, you have all that you need. He, he's not holding out on you. He is yours. He has given himself to you by his glory and goodness. Number two, the promise of grace. Look at verse four. By these, so that's referring back to his glory and his goodness. By these, he's given us every, a, a very great, I'm sorry, let me read, start over here. By these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So, so when he says you've been given everything you need, this isn't like, uh, this isn't just, you've got all the materials, You've got, you've got a good delivery of materials. Amazon, all the Amazon packages showed up. You got everything that you need. Have you, have you ever watched like a, a construction project get underway? Uh, and, and maybe it's new construction and the, they've already laid the foundation or maybe it's like a home renovation and, and they've cleared out the inside of the house where they're gonna do the work. And then what happens? Trucks start to roll up, right? And they, they just drop off pallets of stuff, right? You got pallets of lumber, pallets of brick and sheet metal, uh, everything that's needed for the project, and, 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 but but I, I don't think that's what uh, Peter's describing here. He's not just saying we have all the raw materials that we need. What he's saying is we have the promise that Jesus has actually done something within us. We don't just have the raw materials to build. No, he's saying we now share in the very nature of Jesus so that we can build. There'll be no building apart from his doing the work in us. And so while verse three is kind of the famous verse of this part of the text, uh, verse four really gives the juice, doesn't it? It gives the, the energy. Think back, how, how has God always operated with his people? He operates through covenant, through promise. And, and how, did, how did this work? There would be a requirement upon God's people, a command. You will be my people and you'll be obedient. You'll walk in godliness You'll treat others with love and fairness. You'll love the Lord your God. You'll worship me only. And then on his part of the deal, 
The promise, right? I, I will be your God. I will love you. I will be with you. I will lead you and take care of you and protect you. The biggest example of that would be the Mosaic Covenant, uh, the giving of the law. God lays out a promised vision for how, how the nation is to operate uh, through the law. And so, but then what do the people do? I mean, within minutes, they're already violating it, right? And though they often repented, they would fall again and again and again. They grumbled against God. They disobeyed him when life was hard. They, they sought other gods. They pursued their lust. They were creative in the ways that they rejected God and his command. So what does God do? Well, first, in his grace, he provides a way that they, that they might still atone for their sin through sacrifice. But even as they violate, the, violate the, the command again and again, does he leave them? Does he abandon them? He's within his right really to crush them. It's what they've earned. So, so, so does he? Is that what he does? Well, in a sense, yes. He gives them over to exile. He lets them feel the weight of their transgression. He even issues them, we see in the Old Testament, we, he, sees, he issues them a, div, a divorce certificate. He separates from them. Uh, but, but, but also, in a sense, he doesn't. Psalm 145 says of the Lord, he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Rather than, than rightfully abandoning his people, for not holding up their end, what, what does he do? He, he does something miraculous. He, he zigs where, where we think he probably should have zagged, where final judgment should have come. Listen to yet again another promise. In Jeremiah 31, here it is. This is the new covenant promise. He, God says to his people in Jeremiah 31, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They, they couldn't keep their end so, so what does God do? He says, I'll change you. I will change them at the heart level. And, and Peter's picking up that this is the sort of promised life of God. That the precious promises of the, the reality of Jesus that, that's coming to you, that when, when you came to Jesus, you didn't just enter into an agreement. It wasn't just, all right, Jesus, you forgive my sins, and in return, I will live an obedient life. I will live I'll, I'll be a good person. No, when Jesus saved you, Peter says, he changed you. He, he allowed you to participate in the divine nature. He's changing you from the inside out. And that work is, is a work that happens your whole life. But he is also coming again. And, and our, our brother Paul says in Philippians that the one who started that work, that renewing work in you, he's going to be faithful to bring it to completion. So there is great promise for your life. 
He's changed you down to the, to the heart level. And that changes everything. Which leads us to number three, the effort of grace. So, so he says in verse five, for this reason, so because of that promise that's working in you, Make every effort to supplement your faith with knowledge or with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brother affection and brotherly affection with love. Whew. All right. So in light of the renovation that he's doing in you, now he says, make every effort. Make every effort. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus has called us to a life of effort, a life of, of trying, of reaching, of striving. And if our understanding of the promises of God, the gospel of his grace, if, if knowing his grace leads us to a life that has no pursuit of, of, of holiness, no pursuit of growth, then, then we're really in danger of misunderstanding and abusing his grace. Pursuing a holy life, working, efforting in the Christian life is not contrary to the gospel. No, it's once we know the gospel, the only life that makes sense is a life that runs after Jesus and a life that begins to look more like him. When a Christian is connected to Jesus, the natural trajectory of that life is going to be that he's being transformed to be more like Jesus. Think about a, a, a tree. Um, how, how does a tree begin? I'm, again, no gardener here. A tree begins, though, as an acorn or as a seed. right? And that seed is, is I mean, all of us could take it with our, under our shoe and crush it, right? Uh, we could, I could pick it apart and destroy it with my fingers. Or even when it's a little sapling in the ground, what can you do? You can reach and you can grab it and you just yank it out of the ground. But the trajectory of the tree is sprawling branches, hard bark, thick trunk, all supported by, by the nourishing root system underneath it. And what I could once have easily destroyed it can now destroy me. I can drive a car into the tree and the car won't win. And by his grace, when you came to Jesus, he completely reorients us. You were born again, not, not, with, not like a weed, with a tiny little root system and, and, and that could be easily snatched up. No, you were, you were born again with imperishable seed. You were given a new life, new growth. You were given a, a new nature. He, he justified you. It means he, he declared you righteous. He took away your guilt. And now like a good gardener, he sanctifies you. He is helping. He is there ensuring your growth. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing, but I, you're, I'm with you. And when you're with him, he establishes you. He makes you sturdy. He helps you to bear fruit. So what does this look like? What, what do we do? We just, so we, just, I, we, we lay back and just let it happen? I, I think Peter is saying the mercy of Jesus came 
so that you're actually set free to pursue, to work, to effort, to, to worship Jesus, to know him, to bring every aspect of your life to him, to submit to him. Why? Not, not so that you won't disappoint him. Not so that, man, if I could just stay on Jesus's good side, uh, that way he won't leave me. No, we seek Jesus because we are the adopted children of the Father. And there's no better life for us out there. There's no other path for us that will bring joy to us. There's no other goodness to be found. The one who saved you from death now leads you into the only thing that's really life. So we're compelled by his love. The gospel of Jesus is now our motivation. And so for this reason, he says in verse five, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. So building upon and growing from the faith that we have in Jesus, are we striving to grow in moral goodness? This, this presupposes that there are areas of, of our life that still are not morally uh, where they need to be, right? Are we striving to, to put sin to death because of what Jesus has done for us? Are we supplementing uh, goodness with knowledge, he says? Are you striving to know Jesus? I mean, this is such, this is such fuel for it, right? Are we efforting to walk and to know the, the risen Christ? How, how many of you heard some of the practices that Pastor Barry mentioned in his sermon last week and you, were, and you went home this week and you put them into practice? Man, I need, I, need to, I need to get up and spend time with the Lord. Man, that's gospel-driven effort. Why? Because we know that's what we need. We need him. Peter goes on to says, supplement your knowledge with self-control. Lord, help us. Help us. I, I want to skip this one. <laughs> but are you, are you exerting effort over your impulses? Grace-driven, spirit-infused effort to put to death your desires for things other than Jesus. Look, Pleasure is good, made by God. Uh, food is good. Sex is good. These are, these are things that God has created. But where our desires move beyond what God has told us, where they draw us away from Jesus, how are we efforting to kill desires that would draw us from Jesus and to reign in by his spirit's power in us so that we might pursue the pleasure forevermore that's found with Jesus? He goes on, supplement self-control with endurance. Oh, that we would not be a flash in the pan. And guess what? None of us have hope for not being a flash in the pan unless the Lord is with you. But he is. So are you, are you efforting by the grace that he's given you to know him, to abide in his word so that when suffering comes, your roots might be deeply connected to the vine? Are you laboring to hold fast so you might endure. Supplement endurance with godliness. Are you striving to live a life that looks like your savior? To walk with him. Supplement godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Are we, in light of the way that God has loved us, are we, are we disciplining ourselves to love those who love Jesus, to love our brothers and sisters? Is it your aim 
to grow in affection for God's people. That means we can't just all, we can't just be annoyed with each other all the time. I know, I know a lot of us, there's, there's bag, in a room like this, there's always gonna be baggage that people carry with hurt from, from church and from being part of a church family. And guess what? The church, is, <laughs> the church is not a perfect place. It is a place, what it is, it's a place full of people that God loves. And, and therefore, he's training us to love like he does. And we're not all that lovable all the time. So it's a work, it's an effort. Are there people in your life that, that would, would, as they interact, interact with you and they, as they're around you, that they say, man, why does that guy give me time? Why does she love me? And be, why is she so patient with me like that? Why do they care about my problems? Oh, that Jesus would help us by his grace that he would make us those who are increasing in brotherly affection and love. And then verse eight, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That sounds, that sounds heavy. But this is, this, this description, this increase, this progress, this is what the, the life of one with a new heart looks like. Continued growth not perfect, but continued maturity. Yet it's God that brings the fruit, isn't it? What does the tree do to make fruit? Really nothing. But yet it still efforts, it still works. It, it sends its roots down for water. It bends its leaves to the sunlight. But it's only a miracle of God's provision that any fruit shows up. Fruit belongs to him. We don't pursue fruit. Uh, we don't pursue the fruit of good works. It doesn't work that way. No, we pursue Christ and he brings the fruit. Carmen Watson and I were having this conversation. Uh, she shared with me between services a line that she and Amy Beach have used, which is, it's not about pursuing the Christian life. It's about pursuing Christ. Kevin DeYoung says it this way in his book, The Whole in Our Holiness. He says, in seeking after holiness, we are not so much seeking after a thing as we are seeking a person. The blessings of the gospel, election, justification, sanctification, glorification, and all the rest have been deposited in no other treasury but Christ. We don't just want holiness. We want the Holy One in whom we have been counted holy and are now being made holy. The gospel of Jesus empowers us to a life that would effort to go towards Jesus. This is, this is gospel empowerment. We, we use this Dallas Willard quote a lot that the, the gospel is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. The, the Lord has invited you to himself, not that you might come and show off your works to him and earn him, no, he has invited you to himself and he is doing a work and he's invited you to play. He's invited you to go for it, to, to, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We, we, we seek him and we walk in good works. The promises of God, they just serve as the energy, the fuel, the grace of God serving as the, the juice behind our effort. 
And then we be, we're just like a tightrope walker walking out on the wire. We get to go for it. But guess what? The grace of God is this net that is beneath us, right? But it's more than just the net beneath us. It's the balance in our legs. He is empowering us to do the work, assuring us by his grace. We're not perfect. We're going to fall, but he, he's empowered us to go. You get to go for it. There's no growth apart from Jesus, no goodness, no self-control without him. So we pursue him. We work with his energy by his strength. And then number four, the reminder of his grace. The reminder of grace. Starting in verse nine. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. So I think a lot of us are probably going, okay, so what, what do I do then when I see the incongruence of my life? I, I, I know that I have everything I need for life and godliness. That's what the scripture says. I have the promise of a new heart that he's changing me. I have the spirit's power to progress in holiness. I'm set free to work. I'm set free to, to walk with him knowing that he's working in, in me. And yet, yet you, you, you may say, I, I'm looking at my life and I would not say that it's typified by an increasing measure of godliness. Paul, Paul Tripp refers to this as the gospel gap. And I think that's, if we're honest, that's probably where a lot of us find ourselves. I'm a Christian, I trust Jesus, but, but there's not a lot of discernible growth in, in self-control and endurance. Mostly I, I see two steps forward and I, I see the, two, the same two steps back. Falling into the same ditch, wrestling with the same sin again and again. And, and this can leave us in a state of, of disorientation. It, it's a foggy existence. Peter says it, it's like being blind. How can I be a Christian and yet in, instead of progressing uh, in, in holiness... Instead of growing in, in love for brothers and sisters, I, I just, I'm more defeated, really. If anything, my zeal feels like it's waning. I used to be more disciplined in my pursuit of, of these things, but now love seems to be diminishing, not increasing. And we see the life of progress. We, we see that we're supposed to have this sort of life. These are the fruit of the spirit that we should be experiencing. And yet, and then yet you say, here, but here I am. I'm stagnant. I, I feel like I'm not growing. And, and before I, I address that, I just want to, as, as an aside, say this. Some of you are really hard on yourselves. Some of you are just... Some of you are too easy on yourselves, but there's a lot of you, I think, that are just too hard on yourself. You, you have a conscience that's dialed up to 11. And listen, listen, growth is, is slow. If you have kids, you know that, right? Your kids are like, man, am I ever gonna be taller? So what do you do with them? You put them up against the wall, you put a ruler on their head and you draw a line and you show them, look how much taller you are. You're so much taller than you used to be. We need, we need people to help us do that, don't we? 
But okay, so that's the aside. You're, by God's grace, he's growing you. And you need, you need friends that'll help you see that. But, but how does Peter help, help tell us to, to handle this gap between I have everything I need for life and godliness and then a life that it feels like it's experiencing little progress in godliness? So Peter's saying, he's calling this short-sightedness or better yet, a, a, blind, a blindness or a blind spot. And I think we can exist for a, a short period of time in this sort of contradiction, maybe for a long period of time, but I think inevitably, what we will try to do is we will try to resolve the gap. And I want to give us two ways that I think that we try to resolve it and then look uh, at what the scripture says is, is the true resolution. Number one, the, the wrong way that we try to resolve it is we decrease the command. We say, God isn't concerned with my obedience. He, he, he's, he's not about that. He's about love. He's, he does, he's not worried about my holiness. I trusted Jesus. I know there's grace upon grace. So, so sin is not a big deal. And I think there's a lot of Christians who live in that space. Even, even our gospel-centered language can kind of get twisted up in this. And we, we say things like, man, we're all wretches. It's true. I can never earn righteousness. True. Therefore, maturing in holiness doesn't matter. Not True. And then number two, the other way that, there's probably many ways that we, that we wrongly try to resolve this gap, but the second one I wanna, I wanna talk about is that we just simply increase effort. We double down on our effort. And we do so assuming that Jesus is just like every other human boss, every other rigid teacher that we know. And, and we think to ourselves, you know, I may not be perfect, but I, but I know all of you guys, and I've gotta at least be in the top 25%. Like, I got, I got to at least be like, Jesus is going to be, that's going to be good enough. He's going to be pleased with my effort. He's going to reward that. God's going to see the difference. If I just could stay ahead of you guys, I'll be all right. But both of these solutions are the exact same thing. They avoid the immense reality of God. They are actually a turning away from Jesus. They're, they're looking at ways to decrease the command or to be better than you so that I don't have to look at Jesus. But Peter preaches the true gospel to us. He says, when we find this sort of incongruence within ourselves, when we feel this sort of blindness, he doesn't say it's because you've forgotten that the command is easier than you think. He doesn't say it's because you've forgotten that God only receives those who work the hardest. No, he says, this sort of person has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. When, when your hearts are cold, when you feel like there's no growth, Peter says, you've forgotten how good God is, how holy he is, and that Jesus, the perfect son of God, that he, he died in your place, he rose again, and he did all of that to make you clean. In short, you're blind because you forgot the gospel. You forgot the good news. You forgot that Jesus resolved the gap. There's no other way to resolve it. How is it you were forgiven in the first place? How were you washed clean? It wasn't by a minimized command. And it wasn't by working to impress God with better personal holiness, was it? 
No, here, here's what happened. Jesus walked in godliness in every way. And he gave you his perfect progress. Where your goodness wanes, even now, his never did. Where your self-control looks more like self-worship, Jesus forsook the pleasure and the glory of heaven to take the form of a servant. Where your endurance wanes because life is hard, Jesus endured until his lungs collapsed and his heart stopped. Where your brotherly love is conditional, reserved for only the ones you like, his love extended and poured out and forgiveness upon his enemies. At every turn, and even right now, though you fail, Jesus does not. And on the cross, he took the curse of your moral failures. Peter is telling us, you want to experience progress in the faith? Then the good news of Jesus is the only way. So turn to Jesus. That the key to a life of effort and progress in the faith is not new devotional techniques. It's not reading better reading plans, better devotional rhythms. It, it, no, the, the, life, the life that increases in godliness is the one that returns again and again to the truth of the gospel. We can't walk in goodness, endurance, and love without first simply being. Being a child of the Father the beloved son and daughter of God, he washed you clean. That's the only way to start. We have to remember this. And so the gospel life, the progressive life of sanctification, the life of being transformed into the image of Christ, yes, it's work. But it's work that is built on new birth and remembrance. New birth and remembrance. You must be born again. And then you must regularly return to remember the good work of Jesus for you. You must return again and again to the living water. And so I'll ask on the, both of those fronts, have you experienced new birth? Maybe you, maybe you feel stagnant. Like you're, you're going, my whole life has been just a, a trying to prove myself to God, but failing over and over again. Maybe it's because you've never been forgiven. There, there is no life with Jesus until you come to him, until he forgives you, until he washes you clean. Maybe today's the day. Maybe you've never trusted him. You've never asked him. You've never looked to God for help. You've only tried to, to prove yourself to him. There's no other self-improvement pathway. The only pathway is to the perfect son of God, the one who died in your place, who rose again. He gives you life. You're not going to be able to just change your behavior. You need Jesus to change you from the inside. So if that's you today, Start now, ask him now, right where you're at right now. You can, you can just say in your own heart, Lord, I need you to save me. Save me, save me from my own effort. Save me by your grace, forgive me. He'll do it. 
And then, and then today, like before you leave today, come pray with one of us. Go pray with one of the members of our, our prayer team in the back. Like go pray and just say, yes, I wanna follow Jesus. I don't think I've ever really experienced his forgiveness. And they'll pray with you. They'll pray for you. Or maybe you're, maybe you're a Christian in here today and, and, and you're weary, you're tired. You need to look to the one who cleansed you. Maybe you're troubled by your lack of progress. Your, your life just feels like the same two steps, same back and forth, over and over. Turn to Jesus. Remember him again. That's why we gather every week that we would remember that he's what we need. Make every effort, Peter says. He, he goes on in, in verse 10. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election, to, to confirm what God's done for you. Go back again and again to remember it. Go back to him. Work hard to remember that. There's no greater effort that we would want to know Jesus and all that he's done for us. Remember his provision for you. Do you have friends that will help you do this? When, when you're growing slowly, do you have some that will just help you stand on the wall and mark it off and say, no, no, I see the evidence of God's grace in you. He's growing you, he's changing you. You don't see it, but we see it. Or, or when you find yourself back in the same ditch again, do you have friends that, that are a safe place for you to confess? But not just a safe place to confess, but, but a safe place where you'll get the good news of Jesus that will propel you forward. Friends that will say, look, I know it's foggy. I know, I know it feels like, like blindness almost, but, but that's not who you are. You're a child of God. Let's look to him. And let's ask, let's ask him to help you fight, to walk away from sin and walk with Jesus. I'm thankful for the men in my life who do this for me. I'm thankful for my wife who does this for me. Even a couple of weeks ago, my, uh, my good friend, Steve Egloff, many of you know Steve, uh, he, he knows, we've known each other for a long time. He knows areas where I wrestle. And he knows that I, I wanna stay in the fight. I wanna progress with Jesus and in that moment, as Steve, Steve and I were talking, he, I didn't need Steve to minimize my sin. I didn't need him to lower the, the command. No, he's, he, what, what I needed was, was what he gave me. He said, Jesus is with you. He's with you. He loves you. You're his. Let's fight together. Let's kill sin and put it to death together by his grace. Christian, look to Jesus today. The very sin that entangles you right this second, he took to the cross. He defeated it. And now he will empower you to walk as a conqueror over it. You can go for it. You can, you can strive to walk with him. You can, you can walk in increasing godliness. You can make every effort. You can do it. Not because of you, but because of Christ who's working in you. And you can rejoice knowing that though you may never experience a, a fall-free life, you are going to sin. You are going to stumble. Know that there is a day coming. There is an existence coming that Jesus is bringing a kingdom and that your life in the kingdom will be as he talks about in verse 11, one of no stumbling. This eternal life Jesus offers and he brings Peter talks about in verse 11, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior 
will be richly provided for you. It will be richly provided for you. It has been given everything that you need, including entry into the kingdom of God has been richly provided for you in Christ. I know this life feels like a slog sometimes, but our savior has made provision. He is with you. He's given you all that you need and he will help you to remember the grace that he's given you. So let's press on. Let's, let's take hold of Christ. Let's seek to know and let's not grow weary in doing good for he's with us. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we need you. We need your grace at work in us. Father, that we would do anything that would be helpful in this life, that would be, that would be, that would build others up, that would, that would be loving to our friends and to our children and to our spouses, to our neighbors. God, any of that work, that, that is a fruit of your spirit bringing about something real in us, something good, something true, because you've made us new. And so Lord, with that, that sort of fruit be seen in our life, not because we muster it up, but because we have pressed into the vine, because we have found true life in Christ, the one who cleanses us, the one who makes us new. So lead us to him. Help us to follow and obey. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.